It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study. It's taken some time. You cannot learn uh, all about a subject in one message. We've been talking about the narrow way, which uh, Billy Graham did not teach. I've been talking about the false teacher, Billy Graham. Most people resent that because they don't know anything about him. He was not, he did not teach the truth. I believe the greatest thing that has caused the apostasy in the world was Billy Graham because he taught something that wasn't true for salvation. He taught the sinner's prayer for salvation. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches against that sinner's prayer. These are Billy Graham's biggest lies. He he lied. Huh? Okay, I'll get another one. He taught sinner's prayer, and he taught accept Christ, sinner's prayer. Yeah, I'll write this again. Sinner's prayer and accept Christ as your personal Savior. Accept Christ. And what he did, he lied to the people. You cannot accept anything spiritual when you are dead in your sin. The Bible says that. The Bible says that uh, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The word natural means the physical man. Sukikos, P-S-U. C-H-I-K-O-S. The reason most people want to know they are saved because they hear preachers say, you can know you're saved tonight. You know the time and the day. That's something That's something that leads people astray to say, you can know the time and the day. No, you can't. That's kind of like asking a little kid, do you remember when you were born? Well, you're, it was you that was born, so you ought to remember that. You don't remember where you're born. You just know that you have conviction about truth. That's what you know. I've told the story so many times. My father was one of those accept Christ preachers. That's what he preached every message. He preached accept Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible says the natural man does not receive decomai, the things of the Spirit of God. Deck is the word ten in the Greek. A decade is ten years. And decomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been presented. Dead men in their sin, they're dead, and they cannot accept anything spiritual. It's not true, and that confuses more people than anything else. Has anybody else felt confused about that, whether you were accepting Christ correctly? It's because it's not true. You're going to be confused. You can't... When some preacher says, you can know you're saved... And they use a verse over there in Second Timothy where Paul says, I know whom I have believed. Well, he didn't use this word that we say no. He didn't use our word no, gnosko. He didn't use that. I've learned, and I remember doing this, but you were dead in sin. How can you know something that you did when you were dead? God has to bring you alive. Billy Graham never did talk about 
born again. If he mentioned it, he wrote a book, How to Be Born Again. That's like saying, there's a person out here, uh, let's just say uh, one of you decide to have another baby. Let's say a man and his wife decide to have a baby. Glenn and Brittany decide to have another baby. She's shaking her head no. <laughs> but let's say that you say decide to. And then they tell me, Jim, we're deciding to have another baby. I say, okay, let me talk to the baby first before you have it, okay? Now, I'm going to tell him how to be born, okay? That's the same thing as saying how to be born again. I want to talk to this baby that's not born and tell him, here's how you become born. Here's how you fertilize the egg, and it's going to be up to you and your decision. That's ridiculous. Yeah. If you want to accept them as your parent. You're birthed by the will of God. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. It's God's will that we're born. And the reason you know you're born is because you change over the years. The knowing comes in years. That's when the knowing comes. But the knowing is not, I know whom I, I know I believed in Jesus. Paul said, I know these verses go together. I, I'll just show it to you again. Go back over there to uh, to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, and Paul says in verse eleven, chapter one, whereunto he's talking about the gospel in verse ten, speaking of the light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed, I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer the things. Nevertheless, he said, I'm suffering, they're trying to kill me as I'm preaching the truth to the world. I'm having to run from them. I had to climb over a wall one time and let be down, and I was let down in a basket to escape my tormentors. And he said, they stoned me and left me for dead outside of Lystra. And he says, I'm suffering these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. He's saying, I didn't, he didn't say, I know I'm saved. He says, I know I'm believing in Jesus. But the word know is the word ido. It is not our word gnosko. And I believe this confuses more people than anything else. Ido, he says, I'm an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher, and I'm suffering for being these three things here. Therefore, I see who I believe in because I'm watching my life and I'm seeing my life change. My knowing has to do with being old and wore out and going through all kinds of fire and trials and God making, making me give up on myself over the years you will give up self you everybody doesn't give up at the same rate you've got that inner and that outer man that paul speaks of in romans 7 he also speaks about putting on the inner man in ephesians the fourth chapter he preaches about the inner man in colossians the third chapter he preaches about it 
in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. He's talking about the inner man is Christ. And it takes a long time to get rid of this outer man, which is self. Self is our problem. Self, you know what they call that today in our day and time? There's a medical word for it. Narcissism. A narcissistic person is one who thinks of themselves only and they don't care about anybody else and they don't care what they have to do to be successful in life, who they have to hurt. They just don't care. And they do the things they want to do for their own benefit. Now, we've had many narcissistic people come into into Grace and Truth Ministries, but all they are, they're self-people. God has to start working on you, and when you are born, you begin to have conviction about what's right and what's wrong. But you also wrestle with this outer man, and you're constantly saying, I like me. Uh, that's why the Bible says one of my favorite verses in Luke nine twenty three. If any man will come after me, it doesn't say if. It says, any man after me, let him deny self. It actually just says self in the Greek. E-A-T-A-U. O-U, excuse me. Atu comes from the word, it's actually got a, a diacritical mark. Hatu comes from A-U-T-O, which is the word self. So it actually says, any man come after me, let him deny self. Well, that's, you know what that's showing? That every one of us are narcissistic to a point. Narcissus was a Greek god. He saw he was a beautiful person, and it's, of course, this is myth. And he looked at himself in the pool of water and he fell in love with himself and he couldn't leave the pool because he loved himself so much. So he sat there and died starving to death. And that's what will happen to narcissistic people. The only thing that the Bible teaches is worth living for is others. Until you learn that others are more important than you. That's what we have to learn. That's a hard thing to learn because we like us so much, don't we? We've had a lot of people in here, and a narcissistic person will lie. They will tell lies. They'll make up stories about you. If you wonder why people do that, and it's due to jealousy and envy, that's what it's due to. And the Bible teaches completely against that. Billy Graham didn't teach anything that would make people envious. I'm wanting to show you what what he what he was like. I think Billy Graham actually caused more trouble in the church than anyone since Christ. Because he he became the most famous preacher in the world. Back in the early fifties he was drawing a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand people in stadiums and they'd be covered as far as you could see, back in 51, 52, 53, 54. He was on TV all the time. And he just didn't care about anything except himself. I've got 
when this when the Bible says I know whom I have believed, and Billy Graham said, You can know you're safe tonight, you can make sure tonight. My father used to say those same things. I used to worry every day, all day long as a kid, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. My father was preaching, if you don't know tonight, I walked down the aisle every time he would say that. I would come down the aisle and say, I want to accept Christ. I couldn't figure out how to accept Christ. I was that serious about it as a kid. And I didn't know how to do it. And Daddy kept baptizing me. Janice and Clyde and Dean didn't keep walking the aisle. There was like something wrong with me because I really wanted Jesus in my life and I didn't know I was saved. And I'd be out playing. I remember I lived at 3307 Grover and I'd go down the street and play around the railroad track, go off and do a field out there and I'd look up in the sky and see a cloud up there and I'd go, oh goodness, I hope Jesus don't come today. I don't know that I'm saved. That is an oppression to baby believers I despise it when preachers say that because that made me worry my whole life until I was grown. Then I studied the Bible and I said, no, that's not true. Daddy didn't know what he's talking about. And he didn't. I don't believe in what my father preached. And I don't believe in what Billy Graham preached because my father picked all that up and preached accept Christ and sinners prayer. The Bible says, we know that God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. You've got to be worshiping God and doing the will of God to hear God or to even to pray to him. That's in John nine thirty one. That was the answer of the blind man who was born blind to the Pharisees who said, this man is a sinner. And he said, well, God doesn't hear sinners. And the Bible says, and everybody, Billy Graham, my father, everybody, all the Baptist preachers I ever knew went to Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true, but the next verse, that's not the method of salvation. Read the next verse. I've said this every Sunday since I've been on this subject. Read the next verse. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And that's going to take you into a whole new territory when you start studying believe. Because if you study believe and faith, they're basically the same word. Believe is the the verb. Faith is the noun. Whatever faith is, believe is doing. You have to be obedient to the faith the Bible says. And that's the gospel. Faith is death to self. Death to self is the gospel. The gospel is the resurrection. Resurrection means to come to life after dying, and we have to die daily. I don't hear anybody saying these words. I didn't just start preaching this when we started this ministry 30 years ago. I was confused as a little boy growing up, and I couldn't figure out. I wouldn't even give invitation hymns as I was traveling churches. I'd preach, and then I'd say, preacher, it's yours now. I'd walk away and they'd give an invitation, beg people down the aisle. I never did that. I never told people you have to accept Christ. I never told people you got to pray a sinner's prayer. It's just not true. This was Billy Graham's big lie. And it affected all of the churches in America. What do you have to do to be saved? I'll get into that in a minute. You have to be born again. But you have nothing to do with being born. God has to born you or birth you. 
Now, I'm going to read something to you. So Paul said, I can see the change in my life, but I'm an old man now. The first and second Timothy were prison epistles. He was in a prison waiting to be executed when he wrote to Timothy. So he's an old man. He said, now I've been persecuted for being this apostle and preacher and a teacher for preaching predestination and tell people these pagan holidays are pagan and you're not supposed to be doing and people want to kill me for that. That's when you know, I know, people say you're just a masochist and you just like to torture yourself. I do not. I don't, I don't like people hating me. And the whole world hates me because God had to deal with me to cause me to be willing to teach this. I was in a hospital in, the, in my mid-40s and I thought I was dying. And God had just beat up on me for the previous 25 years. And I woke up one day and said, Lord, this is you beating on me. And I'm going to have to change. Unless you come to a place where God causes you to change, you're really lacking in eternal life. I'm going to read something to you out of this book. I got some of these books in. This Billy Graham and his friends. I didn't bring any of them with me. I've got a couple at the house. Tom ordered about 20 of them. If you want one, uh, you have them for our, what we paid for them. Uh, the postage, packaging, handling, the whole thing is $18 a piece. So if you want one, you come to me and tell me and give me a check for $18 or whatever, and we'll get you one. But these, this book has got so many facts, I don't expect... Before I read that, let me read an email I got from a fellow over in Matthews, North Carolina. It's a very short email, but it's very revealing. Brother Brown, thanks for your ministry and teaching. A year after my becoming a Christian, my wife and I came under the influence of a couple who were very close to Billy Graham's parents. Later, and he's in Matthews, North Carolina. Billy Graham's home is just down the road in Asheville, North Carolina. So it's not so such a stretch to believe that they could be connected with Billy Graham's parents. Later, a close friend of mine was an international businessman. In all likelihood, Billy was the reason for his success over the globe. The world system is so unbelievably corrupt that the swooning followers, I like that, the swelling followers of Dr. Graham would be totally devastated and ready for the psychiatric ward if they but knew. Billy was troubled by the role he had been selected to play. Yet even after spending two full days with a man who begged him to withdraw from the evil nest, talking about all those famous people, he could not do so. He said in this book right here, he said, sometimes I wonder if I'm serving man or God. He was serving man. Those who think you are being too hard on Graham, talking to me, too hard on Graham, don't know the depths of degradation a human being must sink to in order to be exalted to the highest pinnacle by the Luciferian system. He called this a Luciferian system throughout the world. You have barely scratched the surface. Thanking you, John Surratt, in Matthews, North Carolina. 
I know where Matthews is. I was ordained in a Southern Baptist church in Matthews. Know exactly where it is. And that wasn't my choice. It was some preacher wanted to ordain me. 1967. I'd been preaching since 1961. I'm talking to you about these people that Billy Graham run with. Robert Schuler was one of them. Robert Schuler was pastor of the Crystal Cathedral. He didn't believe in anything. He believed in everybody going to heaven. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. And here's what Billy Graham said about him. Let me read this to you. All right. Here's Billy Graham's words about Robert Schuler. In 1972, Schuler invited Catholic Bishop Fulton J. Sheen to his pulpit and joined with Catholic bishops at their mass in the annual Mary's Hour at the Los Angeles Sports Arena. The same year, Billy Graham made Schuler a leader in his Anaheim crusade. Graham said, There is no one in the world I love in Christ more than I do Bob Schuler. He has done some of the greatest things for the kingdom of God of any man in our generation. Let me tell you some things about Robert Schuler. And Billy Graham says he's done some of the greatest things and nobody he loved more than Robert Schuler. You can go online and look up Billy Graham and Robert Schuler, and Billy Graham says some outrageous things on the Internet. Returning to Graham's 1994 Atlanta Crusade, we find that Robert Schuler, pastor of the Crystal Cathedral, was also there on the platform with him. Schuler has the largest TV audience of all the televangelists at the time this was written. Schuler teaches that there is no need for one to recognize his own personal sin, no re need for repentance, no need for the crucifixion of self. A spirit guide says somewhat the same thing. Sin does not exist. No one is punished for sins, and you are not sinners. That's what Mr. Schuler says. Some of Schuler's heresies can be found in his book entitled Self-Esteem, the New Reformation, for instance, he interprets what it means to be born again. He writes, to be born again means that we must be changed from a negative to a positive self-image. The Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're to esteem others rather than ourselves. The Bible says so. The scripture says all that's in the world, everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That word pride means self-esteem. A-L-A-Z-O-N-I-A. First John 2.16. Pride of life means self-esteem. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. And yet they're preaching. Self-esteem was not preached back in the 40s when I was a little boy. If you went into a class somewhere and somebody said being proud, they'd say, that's not, that's evil. We used to know in America that pride was evil even in the 40s when I was a little boy. But now you got Tony Robbins going around and you got Kenneth Copeland say, you can have everything you want, just be positive and you can be like me and be rich. That's just nothing but a lie. 
Some of Schuler's heresies can be found in this book. On the next page, he writes, We can pray our Father in heaven, honorable is our name. Now that's what, that's what Schuler says. Here Schuler is trying to improve the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples had come to him and asked him to teach them how to pray. Jesus told them, uh, hallowed be thy name. In this statement, Schuler attempts to do the same thing that Lucifer did when he said, I will make myself like the Most High. And he's also trying to do the same thing that Babylon was built upon, the mother of harlots, let us make us a name. Schuler loses his cool. Schuler goes even further in his assertion that we are gods. He writes in his Possibilities magazine that nothing exists except God. The Christ Spirit dwells in every human being, whether the person knows it or not. You're a God whether you know it or not. That's what the Charismatics believe. They say we are gods. If we're sons of God, we're little gods. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not true. Schuler also wrote, Christianity with its doctrine of salvation is a faith by God for the glory of the human being, for the greater glory of God, because of this we can pray, Oh God, I am great. Boy, what a guy. Schuler contends that the most destructive thing that can be done to a person is call him a sinner. In an article in Christianity Today, Schuler said, I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth, an unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their sinful and lost condition. He says, that's the worst thing you can do to somebody. He goes on here. In 2000, Schuler, an advisor to President Clinton, pushed his greatness a little further too far. Schuler, who also who had been drinking alcohol, was on an airplane when he assaulted a flight attendant. I remember that. Did any of y'all remember that? He assaulted a flight attendant on a plane because he was drunk. And he's one of Billy Graham's best friends, Billy Graham said. Huh? The attendant said that Schuler shook him vigorously, causing injuries and pain. Dr. Alan P. Dickerson remarked, Schuler, who has such a loving ministry that he will never preach on the wrath of God for fear of driving people away from God and will never call lost sinner, people sinners, he lost his coup. When you believe the things they believe, you're going to get angry sometime and you're going to go off the deep end. His endorsement of all forms of Eastern meditation, such as transcendental meditation, Zen Buddhism, and yoga, as valid methods for harnessing by means of God's divine law. That's how you do it. You go over to, you go over to India and you get you a guru and he'll tell you how you can get ahead. Remember, Billy Graham was frequently appeared with and praised Schuler. In 1983, Schuler sat in the front row of a distinguished guest invited to honor Graham's 65th birthday. In 1986, Schuler was invited by Graham to speak at the International Conference for Itinerant Evangelists in Amsterdam. On one program, Schuler boasted to a to a pleased Graham that thousands of pastors and hundreds of rabbis who didn't believe in Jesus 
Over a million Muslims a week watch his hour of power. Imagine the ingenious tightrope walking it takes to please his divergent audience. In fact, Schuler no longer wants to be called a Christian because it cuts off Hindus and Muslims. And he was one of Billy Graham's dearest friends. And this goes on and on. I can't read all of this. I'll read a little bit more. If you get one of these books, it'll take you forever to read it. Billy Graham said that Muhammad Ali's beliefs in Islam are something we all could believe. That's what Billy Graham said about Islam. Maybe we could all believe these ideas, but will they lead us to heaven? That is the important question. In May 30th, 1997, on the David Frost program, Graham said, I think Islam is misunderstood. Two, because Mohammed has a great respect for Jesus. Not Jesus, the other Jesus. And he called Jesus the greatest of the prophets except himself. Well, if somebody says, Jesus is the greatest prophet except me, I'm going to say, you're a liar. And think that they were closer to Islam than we really think we are. When the Pope went to Los Angeles in 1967, Schuler said it's time for Protestants to go to the shepherd talking about the Pope and say, what can we do to come home? You know what he's talking about? The Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church because of all of their false doctrine. And he's saying, we want to tell the Catholics, can we come home and be a part of the Catholic Church again? I could read on and on, but I'm not going to. It's just so much here. I got to read this. Schuller has had New Agers like Norman Cousins and Gerald Jampolsky on his program, as well as pro-communist Arnold Hammer, Armin Hammer, and it was Dr. Armin Hammer who first opened the doors for Robert Schuller in Russia in 1989. Dr. Schuller was the first foreign pastor to preach to the Russian people on television on December the 24th, 1989. The Los Angeles Times reported that on Hammer's 87th birthday party, Schuller said this is the kind of birthday party the Lord would throw if he could afford it. That's enough of that garbage. What a trash. I don't like Billy Graham. I've never liked him. I knew something was wrong with him when I was young, and I hadn't studied up on him. When I've studied, I've got a whole series on Somebody said, why did you wait till he died to preach on Billy Graham? I got a series about 10, 12 years ago I preached on Billy Graham. He has been the most destructive man in the church in the last 2,000 years. Not Adolf Hitler. Not one of these pagans. He is, because he has held hands with sin and the devil and false doctrine and said they're Christians too because they can say the name Jesus. See, watch me spell Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. That must mean I'm a Christian. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What is the method of salvation? I gave you this right here. I've given you all these these pieces of paper. Last week I gave you this on Thalibo. That Thalibo and Thalipsis are the two words that are used all. I gave you every time it's used in the New Testament. 
Philebo is usually the word, it's the word narrow. Narrow is the way. It means to be pressured on all sides. And we have to be in the narrow way. When the Bible says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And the Bible says, enter ye in at the straight gate. If you go into the straight gate, you're going to be in the narrow way. The word enter, enter into the straight gate. which is the narrow way, leads you to the narrow way. Enter is a very interesting word. It's the word E-I-S-E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. It means to labor, ergon. E-R-G-O-N is the common word for labor. You find that in this area right here of the word. East or ice, ice or east means into. You have to labor entering into the straight gate. Straight, stenos. Stenos means to crowd through a narrow opening. It means to be pressured. Let me give you a couple of verses I haven't given you. Go over here to Matthew, the 17th chapter. Matthew 17. Being saved is not easy on us. Being saved is hard on us. It's tough on us. We're supposed to have a hard time getting into heaven. It's not because you're trying. It's because God has required you to enter. Enter, I circle my, is an imperative mood. That's a command. It's as much a command is when Jesus, who was the I am God in the beginning, says, let there be light. Is there any question whether light is going to be in that second verse of the first chapter of Genesis? No. There's going to be light. In this imperative mood, enter, this only applies to people who can hear. Every time you see the word, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him, that's third person singular, let him hear. Hear and obey are your basic same word. Here is the word akuo, A-K-O-U-O. And obey is the word hoop, akuo, A-K-O-U-O. Hupo means under. It tells where you hear. Hear under. Hear under is the word obey. It means to be subordinate to. So he that hath an ear to hear. Who has an ear to hear? Every believer will obey God. You won't obey him all of a sudden. You'll struggle with it. You'll you'll say, but I want to have fun with me I want my stuff and all my things and I, I want to go out and live my life for me has anybody been guilty of that besides me and if you don't raise your hand you're lying <laughs> maybe you're just too embarrassed huh move this okay you, you cannot 
have your way with this. Where did I say we were going? Huh? Matthew. Matthew 17. I want to show you a couple of things about getting into heaven is not easy. Let me put it this way. It's easy on God. It's not easy on us. He's the one that requires us to enter into the straight gate in a narrow way. When he says any in at the straight gate, that's a command as much as any command he gave in the Bible. He's commanded us to enter in the straight gate and to be crowded on every side. We're going to be pressured by the world, aren't we? Is anybody being pressured by the world? Has anybody lost any business? Has anybody lost any friends or family? Has your family... <laughs> friends, real quick. We're going to lose our friends and family by embracing the truth. People don't like this. Huh? Well, we have a family. My brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the Father, Jesus said. My family has forsaken me. Everybody except my wife and son and my daughter-in-law and my grandkids. But my daughter, my daughter is 58 years old. She want nothing to do with me. I, the last time I saw her, she was 25. She doesn't want anything to do with me. And you know what? I cried a million tears when she was a little girl, and I have no more for her. Just wait long enough, and those people that you love will become unloved by you if they don't believe God. When you see them spit in God's face enough times, you'll say, I have nothing for them. I have nothing for my daughter. As far as I'm concerned, she's not my daughter. She may not be. Her mother had so many affairs that... that, uh, Who knows who she is. Now... Look here in Matthew 17. This is interesting. When people say it's easy to be saved, just pray this prayer and you're home free. No, you're not. If God doesn't birth you by his will, you're not going to be home at all. You'll be home in hell. That'll be your home. Now, Matthew 17. John the Baptist is the man that preached the gospel. He preached the narrow way. He came to preach, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We've said that prepare you the way of the Lord. I haven't really finished this. John Baptist, he's the one that was sent to preach. Prepare the way. And the way is narrow. This was John the Baptist's narrow. The way is narrow. Thalibo. And it's a straight gate. It's a stenos gate where you're pressured on all sides. You say, I don't like to be pressured. I want an easy life. Well, then go on to hell if that's what you want. If God don't change your heart, that's where you're going. You have to be born again. Again is the word anothen. Anothen means from above. From above. I'm going to talk about born again in a minute. Billy Graham didn't really preach born again. If he mentioned it, he did, he meant, what he meant was walk down the aisle and accept Christ as your personal Savior. That's what he meant. That's what my father meant. They meant the same thing. You have to know... From above means 
The birth will come from God. It won't come from your decision. It'll come from God. And he has to change you where you'll be under persecution. And years later, you'll begin to know and see that you're a believer because you're suffering things that you wouldn't have willingly done when you were young. I wouldn't have preached like this when I was 30. And I was a young preacher at 30. I was traveling all over America and preaching in churches. And I was pulling punches. I wasn't swinging as hard as I could. If I'd have preached this, I'd end up in Clovis, New Mexico, without a way to get home. The preacher said, you can't say, here, get out of here. Well, I don't have a way home. Well, that's too bad. I knew that would have happened, and that's why I didn't say predestinate. I'd preach around it, and I'd preach at it, and I was afraid of it. Has anybody else been afraid of it? Uh, I know the feeling. Anathen means the birth comes from God. You have to be born from above. It's not your decision. It's God's decision. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God's will. Now, John Baptist, I'll just call him John Baptist, John the Baptist, preached, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. When you look at Mark, Mark, the first chapter, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, the beginning of the gospel, beginning of the gospel is... Prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Over there in Luke, the third chapter, there in verse 3, the Bible says, John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance, of repentance, and you have to repent in order to be saved. But Billy Graham never, if he said repent, He didn't even explain it to anybody. Repentance is being turned. You have to be turned. And then you will repent. And then you will be instructed. You will have to be willing to be instructed. Who is going to be your instructor? It's going to be Christ. It's going to be this book right here. If you never have an interest in this book, and you never want to find out what's in it. Till the day you die, you don't belong to God. You'll just go to hell being that way. I don't have any interest in knowing what the truth is. Well, you have to be interested. They're, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. These people will be filled with truth. But it won't be all at once. I'll just drink it all down one day. I'll read the Bible in a week no you won't it's a long time I've studied the Bible since 19 1956 when I was 17 years old the reason I know it was 56 is because I never owned a Bible in my life till I was 17 we only had one Bible in the house that was the one that daddy used that he went to preach this free will doctrine he preached I didn't have one. When I was 17, at Christmas time, Mom and Daddy gave me a little red Bible. And I started trying to read it. I couldn't understand it because my dad didn't teach me anything that was made sense. It was accept Christ and walk the aisle and let Jesus come in your heart. And 
I didn't know how to let. Let me see. How do I do this? Has anybody ever figured out? Try to figure out how do you let Jesus in? Let me see. Uh, 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 I'm trying to let him in my heart. I'm trying to. I want to accept you. I accept you. Will you accept Christ? You will accept his teachings after you are born again. That's when you'll do it. But your new birth is a wrestling match. The Bible says it right here. In Matthew 17, look here in verse. Let me see here. Where do we start? That's verse, that's chapter 18. I'll never find it there. All right. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Let me read this first. Let me read this, and then I'll read about... I'll read Matthew 11. In verse 9, as they came down from the mountain after this, this majestic transfiguration of Christ... Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? It says Elias, that's Elijah, translated in the Greek. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I said to you that Elijah is come already and they knew him not but have done unto him whatsoever they listed listed thalo means will what they will to do likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them then the disciples understood when said Elijah must first come they spoke of John the Baptist Where does the Bible say Elijah has to come? Over in Malachi, the last chapter of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And the Jews at all of their festivals, they keep an empty chair at their festival table. That's for John the Baptist, just in case he decides to come. Since they don't believe in the New Testament, they don't know that he's already come in the form, in the spirit of John the Baptist. And when you go to the fourth chapter of Malachi, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be a stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall... Go forth and grow up as calves of the stall and shall tread down the wicked, but they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 
So the Jews took that literally and they said, that's why they come up to John the Baptist and said, art thou Elijah? Art thou that prophet? And he said, no, there in John the first chapter. But he was figuratively, he was figurative Elijah because Elijah gave the commandment for Israel to go under a, 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 to go under destruction because they were bringing in all these gods in that in that 16th, 17th chapter of 1 Kings. And he says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, go over here to just to show that this is Elijah, and I'm going to get back to him in a minute. Uh back to the 17th or back to the 11th chapter of Matthew. Now look over here in Luke, the first chapter. It'll describe this Elijah that is to come. Luke, the first chapter. I've been looking for a place to put this in here for a long time. This seems to be the proper place. What is it he will do? He will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers. Of course, that will be spiritual children. Verse 5, Luke 1. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. That doesn't mean anything to you unless you go to the 24th chapter of Second Chronicles. Let's go over there real quick. 24th chapter of Second Chronicles. 24th chapter. And this is giving the lineage of the, of the, excuse me, First Chronicles, not Second Chronicles, First Chronicles, 24th chapter. And this is going to give you the lineage of Aaron, who was the high priest. He was the older brother of Moses. He was made the high priest of Israel. Only his sons could be high priests. Now, these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. Out of Aaron would come all the high priests. There were priests, but they weren't all high priests. You had to be a son of Aaron to be a high priest. The sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. They died because they offered strange fire there in Leviticus, the 10th chapter, to God. Now, we don't know what the strange fire was. It could have been fire from the wrong place. It could have been fire from the candlesticks instead of the altar. It could have been a uh, the wrong formula. There was an exact formula for that incense to be offered, but they offered a strange fire, and God killed them. And all of that was left with Ithamar and Eliezer. So from that point, from Leviticus 10 all the way to Jesus, there were high priests. And they had to come from Ithamar or Eleazar. That's the only way they could be a high priest of the temple. And David distributed them both Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar. There's stories that go with this. According to their offices and their service, and there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar. And thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar, there were 16 chief men 
of the house of their fathers and ate among the sons of of Ithamar according to the house of their fathers. That was 24 sons would be the high priests of Israel. And if you go down here into, in the first century, John the Baptist should have been the high priest. He should at least have held one of the courses of the high priest because when you go down here into verse uh, 8, well, let's read down some. Then he says here in verse 7, Now the first lot came forth to Jehoarib, the second to Jedidiah, the third to Hiram, the fourth to Seorim, the fifth to Malchijah, and the sixth to Majimin, the seventh to Hakaz, and the eighth to Abijah. John the Baptist was of the course of Abijah over in Luke, the first chapter. So John the Baptist, who was the king of Israel when Jesus came? (laughs) Who was the the fake king Herod who was the literal king Jesus who was the high priest John the Baptist he was the high priest when he came so he came preaching prepare you the way of the Lord prepare you the narrow way and you're commanded to be in the narrow tribulation way and he meets the criteria because let's read on down they were both righteous before God, speaking of the the wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God. They were both descendants of the high priest of Israel, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in age. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, which was the eighth course. They couldn't have all the high priests serve at once, so they had courses. It'd be a week or two weeks. So John the Baptist is serving as the high priest at this point. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah was with him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, this is the father of John the Baptist, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. The Holy Ghost is the truth. It doesn't mean he'll start preaching as soon as he come out of the womb. From the womb meant this is what their calling will be. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So we know that John the Baptist is Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Oh, isn't that what Malachi said? 
turn the fathers. I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. That's what John the Baptist is doing. What is this all about? It's about the coming of the kingdom is what it's about. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he's the one that came preaching, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And that was the baptism of repentance. That was also the gospel. Billy Graham didn't preach that. You have to study these to know. Now let's go back over here to Matthew 11. Let's look at John the Baptist. Matthew 11. Takes a lot of thinking to get into this all. Now, this is talking about John the Baptist. Verse 7. And as they, depart, as they departed, Jesus began to send to the multitude concerning John the Baptist. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. John the Baptist came dressed in a wild man's garment. They thought he was a wild man. And he ate locusts and wild honey. He had on a rough coat. And what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I send you more than a prophet. For this is he of whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. A forerunner. It was a man who ran into a city and would say, The king is coming. Everybody face down. That's what he was saying. He came and preached the narrow way. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way, thy hodos, the narrow way. He'll prepare the hodos. That was a common term for the believers back in that day and time. All through the book of Acts, Paul would speak of, I went and found many of that way. He'd say that over and over again. Many of that way. I was going to read some of that, but I've got some more to say. Which are prepare the narrow way before thee. What was John the Baptist doing? He's introducing the narrow way. In the Old Testament, they had the rituals. They had, they had the law and all of its rituals. When Jesus came, he performed miracles to prove who he was. Miracles to prove who he was. And he says, there's a better way than this. That's what the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12 says. Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then he goes right straight into the 13th chapter, which is the agape chapter or the love chapter, some people call it. I hate to call it that because agape was the relationship that a king had for their subjects, fathers had for their families. Where do you get that, Jim? Here's 34 pages out of Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament words. 34 pages on the word agape. I've been meaning to read y'all some of this 
for a long time, and I just never have. Uh, I'll read that in a minute. I've got to finish this up. So prepare you the way was John the Baptist. Here's the point. When Jesus comes, he blinds the eyes of the Jews. Blinds the eyes of the Jews. A Jew over here is of the family of Adam down through Seth, his son, through Enosh, his son, through Canaan, his son, to Mahalalel, his son, and then to Jared, his the son of Mahalalel, and Jared's son, Enoch, and Enoch's son, uh, Methuselah, and Methuselah's son, Lamech, Lamech's son, Noah, and then Shem, his second-born son, and it leads you all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel. And he's got 12 sons that become the nation, and because Israel rebels against God all the time, they're a nation under kings from First Samuel to Second Chronicles, through Second Chronicles, they rebel against God. God scatters them all over the world. And he said, I'll give you 70 times 7 of the 70 weeks of Daniel to repent of your idolatry worship. And if you don't, I'm going to call my people by another name, Gentile Church. Well, the entrance of the Gentile Church was introduced by John Baptist. He introduced us to a more excellent way, the narrow way. And he announced that, that the king was here. The king is here. The narrow way is now the way into the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, Israel is called the kingdom of God. Can you show us that, Jim? Oh, yes. And if Jesus was the I am God of the Old Testament, which he said he was, then he was king of the Jews over here, wasn't he? He wasn't king of the Jews when he got to the church. He was already king of the Jews back here. So we have to come, become Jews of the heart. That's what Ephesians, the, the second chapter, and Colossians, the second chapter says, a Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart, and circumcision is of the heart. So therefore, we are the spiritual Israel, and the entrance into that spiritual Israel is the narrow way, and it was preached by John the Baptist. That's why he was important. He preached the narrow way. And watch what the scripture says. Even as he preaches it, it's a pressuring thing. Now, the Pentecostals have got a hold of a verse here and went nuts with it. Just crazy, goofy. Let's read about it. Behold, I send my messenger, verse 10, before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I send you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist because he is the one that kept preparing the way the apostles would say to Jesus he'd say go into all the world or he would say to them go into all the world teach all nations baptizing them in baptism was a method into the kingdom that was a Jewish method that was a Jewish thing baptism in water was a Jewishness. But when you get to, when you get over here to Colossians 2.14, the Bible says, 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All the rituals were blotted out. And John the Baptist comes baptizing in water, but John the Baptist doesn't preach baptism of water. He's doing that. All the people were saying, this is a long thought. That's all I know to express it. When Israel was scattered at the end of their time as a kingdom, under kings, from, from Samuel through Chronicles, First Samuel through Second Chronicles, they were kingdom. When they were scattered, God gives them an opportunity of repentance, and he said, if you don't repent, there in Isaiah 65 and 1, I'm going to call my people by another name, and it'll be the Gentile church, it'll be spiritual Israel. I'm going to call my people, and the man that's going to introduce it is John the Baptist. And it's going to be called the narrow tribulation way because when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all the rituals of the Old Testament were blotted out. I've said it a thousand times. You could go into, you can go into McClinic and Strong and look up contract. Or you can go into my... If you got life from the ancient East, you can look up contracts in there. And they will tell you the Jews had contracts. They acted them out. All their contracts were acted. When Jesus said, this blood is the New Testament and my blood, testament was a contract. Testament, Deotheke meant the last will and testament. This is my last will and testament. But a contract, a testament was, no, was not any good until the death of the testator, until Jesus died, the new contract was not valid. So after he dies, he resurrects the third day, on the third day, and he tells his apostles, go unto all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them with a spiritual baptism, not with the water. Why would Jesus, why would John the Baptist say, in Matthew 3. I've got a baptism. Be bab- uh, Excuse me. John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but there comes one after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And then Jesus goes through his whole ministry, and he comes up after he's crucified and resurrected. And when he's crucified, they drive the nails through his hands, or actually through his wrist. The palm was said to go up nearly to the elbow. They drive the nails through his wrists. And when they drive the nails through, they blotted out all the rituals. And it wasn't until he was nailed to the cross that the new contract was valid. Therefore, when he resurrects, he goes to his apostles in northern Galilee, says, go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in. Boy, I got, you know how far I could go in this? In is the word ice. It means into. It doesn't mean come out of. Baptizing them in the name in the onoma, in the authority. That's not of water baptism that he's commanded them to do. Why would Jesus say, go baptize them with John's water baptism and the one that he told you about that I have, you can forget that? Why would he say that? That's ridiculous, isn't it? He's talking about going to all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in the Spirit. And I've, if I had time, I'd go to the third chapter of uh, second 
Corinthians, but I don't have time. Now, so immediately after he talks to the apostles in northern Galilee, he says, go and tarry in Jerusalem. They tarried 40 days in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes upon you, and that will be the birth of the New Testament church or New Testament spiritual Israel. Now, here's John introducing the narrow way. That's why Jesus said, there's not a greater than John. Every time Jesus would say, he'd tell them to go baptize, and they would say, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Even the Pharisees would say, when are you going to restore the kingdom if you're the Messiah? And that's when he said in Luke 17, 20, and 21, 22, he said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not something you can see anymore. For the kingdom of God is in you. They called Israel the kingdom of God. You can read that in Hosea the 13th chapter. He said, I'm your king. That's the kingdom of God. He said in the, in the, in 1 Samuel, the, uh, 14, the 12th chapter, he said, Jesus is your king. You desired a king among you when, when God was your king. Well, if God was your king, who was the God of the Old Testament? The I am God, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He said, the kingdom of God is in you. John the Baptist is introducing the narrow way. That's his job. That's why he was not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Let's see what John says. Verily, verse 11, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And Jesus said, I am the least in the kingdom. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, this is one of the most confusing verses, and the Pentecostals have taken this verse and gone nuts with it. It's They're the ones that's nuts. And here he says, Now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Violence is the word biastes. Energetic. B-I-A-S-T-E-S. Biastes means a forcer. You have to come to a place when you're in the narrow way, in the Thalibo way, that you have to force yourself to do right. If you're waiting for... I asked Eric one time when he was about... 17 or 18 I said do you think that he's back there that's my son back there with the bald head (laughs) I asked him when he's about 17 I think I said do you think commitment to Christ comes he's 50 now he wouldn't ask me this now Uh, 49 same thing Uh, when you're old 49 is 50 (laughs) Uh, he asked me I asked him I said do you think that Commitment to Christ is something you're just sitting in that chair and all of a sudden he rains this down from heaven. He said, yeah, I've kind of felt like that. I said, well, that's not it. 
you have to come to realize what you have to do. You have to force yourself to obey. You have to go against that outer man. And you don't want to because you like the outer man too much, don't we? I like me too much to go against me. I'm too spiritually into self. And over the years, God has beat me up and caused me to come out of self. You have to force yourself in the kingdom. And that's the narrow way. And John came and preached that. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the Pentecost say, hey, you got to get violent with the kingdom. Woo! <laughs> that's what they'll say. And they go jump up and down. They'll bounce off the wall and say, I'm getting violent. <laughs> no, you got to get violent with self. Self is violence. And the violent take it by force. Harpazo. H-E-R-P-A-Z-O. Harpazo means to pluck. Like you pluck fruit off of a tree. You've got to force yourself to take it. But that'll only be when God comes and moves in your heart to cause this this inner man to come alive and tell that outer man, you have to die. Self has to go. The greatest thing to live for that I've discovered as I got old was, real simple, others instead of me. I've learned to live for other people. I used to be selfish if I made a lot of money and real estate or something. I said, this is mine. I bought this. is mine. You can't have it. You can't even borrow it. And in my old age, I've gotten free-hearted. If I got it and you need it, you can have it. I'm talking if you need it, not if you want it. Okay. Okay, Jim, give me your, give me your car. Give me, well, you got one. Yeah, but you said I could have whatever you have. Now, that's just greed on your part. Then he's the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come, as spoken of in the fourth chapter of Malachi. Now, let's go one right of the place where John the Baptist is referred to. Go over here to Luke, the 16th chapter. Everybody was looking for the kingdom of God to come. It comes through the narrow way. That's how it comes. Luke 16. All through this chapter, it's about a man who is considered an unjust steward because there's people that owe money to his master and he won't go out there and collect it. He won't do anything about it. So he went out and his master comes and says, well, collect what you can. And he says, okay, I'll go out and do that. And he goes out and he says, the steward said within himself in verse 3, what shall I do for my Lord taketh away me the stewardship he's not stewardship by the way it's amazing is the word oikonomia o-i-k-o-n-o-m-i-a 
It's the same word as dispensation. (laughs) Dispensation is not a period of time. It's the dispensing of the law, nomos, to the house of God. And we are God's house. So he goes around to each one of the people and says, uh, I'm going to be put out of the stewardship. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto them, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And one said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. He's going to forgive people of the money. That they can't pay. Why not do that? Say, what do you have? And said he unto another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said unto him, take your bill and write four score, write eighty. And the Lord commanded him, commanded the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generations wiser than the children of light. If you can get them to pay something, it's better to get something than nothing. I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. How do you make yourself make to yourself friends of the mammon? The mammon is the money. You be real honest with everybody that you see. That's the way you do. Honesty is the best policy. Being honest with everyone. Say, well, you can't pay that. What can you pay? Okay, I'll take that instead. We'll mark it paid in full. Had a guy come here one time, and he borrowed $575 to make a back payment on his van. I noticed when he come, I know he couldn't pay it back. I noticed when he come, he would kind of slink around and didn't want to quite talk to me privately for quite some time. And I went to him one day, and I said, it makes you comfortable owing the ministry this money. I don't have any time limit on it. I said, I'll tell you what. you have a dollar? He said, yeah. I said, give me the dollar. And I wrote, uh, I put $575 paid in full. I said, give me that dollar. Okay, now you're paid up. Because I knew he couldn't afford anything else. We were there to help, not to hurt. You can't hold on to money so tight you say, you owe it to me and you're going to pay it or I'm going to strangle you. That doesn't do you any good. So the way you make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, you're honest with them and they'll trust you before they'll trust their own kind. I learned that a long time ago. I learned that in real estate. I learned I would be real honest with people. I'd advise them not to do something when they wanted to do it. I said, don't buy that house. Why? It's a real nice house, but it's, I said, it's in the dump. Look at the neighborhood. They got a tire hanging from the tree across the street. They got a car on blocks over here. The neighborhood is terrible. I don't care if it is nice. You, you buy a house next door to a dump, you get it real cheap. And, you, and my clients trusted me. They stayed with me because I'd advise them not to do something. He that is faithful in the which is least is faithful in the much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit unto you t- t- your trust the true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money at the same time. Well, that's a hard thing to get a hold of, isn't it? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to money and hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. But if you're honest, the world will trust you over their own people. Then he says, And the Pharisees also who were covetous, pleonectes, they always want more, heard all these things and they derided him. They made fun of him, laughed at him. And he said unto them, You are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, Pharisees, for that which is highly esteemed among men, in this case it's money, is an abomination to God. It stinks to God. If that's all you're thinking about, it's the wrong thing. I've learned as I grew older to think about others. And the only way I could do that was get in the narrow way and say, I'm more concerned for them than I am me. And I'm not saying that in boasts. I'm saying that's the way you need to become. And you will in time if you live long enough. The law and the prophets were until John since that time the kingdom of God is preached. And every man that gets in presseth into it. Presseth ought to give us a hint. The word is biazo. It comes from the same word over there in Matthew 11. Biastes. B-I-A-Z-O. It, you have to force yourself to give, forgive people of something they owe you that they can't pay back. You've got to force yourself to do right, don't you? You can't make this happen on your own. If people cannot quit, the hardest thing to do is stop thinking of self. That's everybody's got a little bit of of selfishness or unrepentance in them. Now, I've given you this paper. People are deceived. I give you this paper. I got one here. Oh, here it is. I gave you this paper. I've given you one last week on Thalibo and Thalipsis. This will tell you every time. Every time Thalibo and Thalipsis, which is the word affliction or tribulation, is mentioned in the New Testament. This will tell you, this is every time you've got the word, you've got the word deceive or deceiver or heir. They're all part of the same word. This word apate means deceit. It comes from the word dolos, which is the word guile, means to Live by trickery. The only reason you live by trickery is trying to take advantage of somebody. You're envious of them. All these words go together. Look here in Matthew thirteen twenty-two. Look at this. Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. How much time do I have, Mike? 11. Gosh. I barely got through John the Baptist, and I didn't really do him justice. He was a great man of God. And they killed him. He preached to Herod. See, he said, you've got 
your brother Philip's wife. And Herod says, we don't like that. We don't have somebody preaching to me around here. So he had Salome, his wife's Herodian, was his wife, and her daughter was Salome. And she danced before the king, and she said, her mother came to her and said, the king said, I'll give you whatever you desire. I'll give to you if you dance for me. And her mother, Herodias, said, tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she danced, and he said, what do you want? I want John the Baptist's head on a charger. It was a platter. So they cut his head off. Well, see, that's the narrow way. John the Baptist did not fear to tell Herod what he was doing. And look here, and this money thing will destroy you. It nearly killed me. I was in real estate. I worked 90 to 95 hours every week. I would wake up. We didn't have cell phones. I had a stack of contacts beside my bed. I'd wake up at 7 and grab the phone and grab the first contact and just start calling. Didn't even care who they were. And I'd do that all day long till 1, one thirty in the morning. One day I remember, probably happened several times, it was like 5 or 6 in the evening, and I was so busy making money that I forgot to eat that day and the day before. And I hadn't eaten since the day before, and I didn't have to go without food. I was too interested in making money. Have you ever been there? I worked around the clock. And you know what happened to me? <laughs> Mary never did see me. I didn't get to go to any very seldom or any of Eric's football games. I just was crazy. I was, it, I was, I was had a daemonizomai. Remember the word daemonizomai? means to be insane. And it comes from, this is, I've said this to people. I don't think people even believe it. If you're thinking of you all the time, you're, you're, you're living a life that's wasted. You're not doing anything. If you, all you do is record songs and all you are is a big singer, nobody even remembers the people that's died. Everybody was real famous back when I was in music. Everybody was famous in Nashville's dead. Johnny Cash is dead. Jim Ed Brown's dead. Jim Ed wasn't as big as Johnny Cash, but he was a famous singer. Uh, Del Reeves is dead. Porter Wagner's dead. They're all dead. And they died, and the only way you could find them is go down to the to the used bookstore and go thumb through a bunch of long play albums, which nobody wants. And look through there, and you pull out, and Porter Wagner sings country songs, and you're going, and most people say, who was he? Wouldn't they? Who's Porter Wagner? Well, he introduced Dolly Parton to the world, but nobody cares anymore. It's just, I started to give you something. I don't know what it was. Let's look here at Matthew. Matthew 13. 
I can't give you everything I want to give you in all this. I just go from one subject to the other, and I just keep forgetting. The first thing on the list is Matthew thirteen twenty two, and it's got dolos d o l o s up on top. That's the word guile. Guile means to live by trickery. Oh, I think that's related to everything else we've been talking about itself. In Matthew 13, this is the parable of the sower. And this is what will deceive you. It deceived me for a long time. I wanted money and fame. I had a really good tenor voice. Are you bragging? No, it was a great tenor voice. I had the big groups, the Cathedral Quartet, when Bobby Clark left and called me and asked me to take his place. And I thought... No, you guys are charismatic Pentecostals. I can't sing with you. I didn't say that to Danny Coker. I just said, no, thank you. And we were a little bitty group, and they were a giant group. I wasn't going to go join them. That's where the money and the power was. All right. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Verse 18. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom of God, which you have to press into it, which you have to get violent with it, with self. You've got to get violent. Say, I've got to force myself to do right. I've got to stop. I can't have a loose mouth. I can't just think about me. I've got to think about others that are in need. But, Jim, most needy people are oppressive. Well, yeah. So... You mean you don't help anybody except those who get it together. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to the tokas, the emptied out. If a man is emptied out, it's usually due to the fact they had a bad parenting, bad situation growing up, and he's going to have a twisted way of thinking. It don't mean because they have a twisted way of thinking, you don't help them. You help them anyway. We've helped a lot of people. We've bought a lot of cars for people, given them away, and I'm looking for two more. And when we give them away, I've had some people mistreat me over giving them a car. Had one lady, we were trying to get enough money to buy our car because she was in a flood down in, in uh, Louisiana. And she... Uh, and I called her and told her, we want to help you get a car. Well, we talked around, kept talking to people. And one fellow said, I'll give $3,000 toward her car. And I'd already given her about $1,500. So in the meantime, lady here donated her car, real good car, like new. It was a 2002 or something like that. It was like new. The oil changed every 3,000, 4,000 miles from the time it was new. We gave her that, and I had told her we had taken up $3,000 for her. And she came here, didn't even thank the church, then went home and accused me of stealing her $3,000. Well, she didn't know that I called the man back that had donated the 3000 I said, we were getting a, trying to get her a car, and she's calling me a thief, saying I stole her 3000 I said, you want me to send that money back to you since we had a car donated? And he said, well, let me think about that. And he thought about it. And he said, I owe you some tithe money. 
I owe you more than that in tithe. I owe you back tithe of so much money. He said, I'll pay that extra. I said, that's up to you. I'll send it back to you. So she's saying, you stole my money. No. And people are greedy. They are narcissistic. They think about themselves. And we had a lot of other poor people that were in that flood. And we got poor people all the time that's in need. I got two people that need a car right now. But they need a little compact car, need an automatic transmission. I need that. Not for me to give to these people. But I'm not giving it. You are. And he says here, here's another thing that will lead you away. He received the word, the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, he heard the word of God, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet he hath not root in himself. Jesus is the root out of dry ground. He didn't have Jesus in him, but he endured for a while. And when tribulation and persecution, when the narrow way arises, because of the word of God, he's offended. He also that received the seed among thorns. That man is a was a vessel of wrath. He was a spot on the love feast. He that received the seed among thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of money chokes the word. I understand that word choke. Soon panigo. Sumpanigo means to wheeze. You can't hardly breathe. I know all about that. I've had asthmatic bronchitis for years. Since I've quit thinking about money, only thing I think about is another TV station that we can be on. That's all I think about. I think about preaching here and getting on more TV stations so we can get this word to more people. And I'm not sick all the time anymore. I'll have a seize and go through some once in a while. <clears throat> but I'm not having a hard time like I used to. In my mid-40s, I was a dying man. And Mike will tell you that. Mary will tell you that. I was dying. I tell Mary, I'm not going to live to be 50. I fooled myself, didn't I? I made it. Well, I've run out of time. Read this paper about deception Going after money is is the deceit that you don't realize what it's about. It's just not what you think. You got the word apate, apatao, ex apatao, which means to completely be completely deluded. Then you got these planade words, which means to be led out of the way, and uh, and you got the word planetes and planeo, all those forms of planet looks like plain but it's planet and this will tell you what will deceive you if you'll read it if you run around with the wrong people you're deceived you need to stay with god's people the people that believe the truth well this is a baptist and he believes and accept christ and i think he's a christian he's not if that's what he believes for salvation well let's pray father thank you for truth God, give us strength to keep going in this ministry. I pray for that. You've given me strength so far in times that I didn't think I had any left. Help us to understand your truth. 
help us to get in the narrow way. This is the way to the kingdom of God. Without it, there's no no salvation. Let us cheer elect. God will give you praise for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Don't forget to read this paper. It'll tell you about how you can be deceived. I gotta, I'll got get back to born again next week. I, I need to explain that to you. Papa, uh, do you? Is your brother here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you love me. I love you too. No, <laughs> Christopher. You want some gum?